Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, David Begin of Begin Insights. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Car Wash, the podcast, the podcast that makes you a great car washer and a slightly better human being. With me today is my regular guest, Claudia St. John. She's the president of Affinity HR Group, and they're a management consulting firm that provides human resource consulting, compliance, recruiting, all things human resource for small and medium businesses. They've got a great practice with trade associations. They're also the preferred HR provider for the International Car Wash Association. And I love talking to Claudia. She's always giving me great insights and appreciate it. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Delighted to be here. And how exciting. We're in 2021. 2021. We thought this was going to be the year that things were going to be better. And And they're not. (laughs) January has proven that we still have a ways to go, but that's okay. We're going to make it. I know we don't feel like we're going to make it. Claudia and I were kind of talking about kind of the low-level stress that exists with what's going on, all things that are going on, but I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to make it. As Doris Kearns Goodwin, the great historian, said, I heard her recently, she said, every generation, whether it was the Civil War or whether it was World War I or World War II or the Kennedy and King assassinations and Kent State, so many times we've thought we We'll never be able to get through this. Our country is at an end. And yet every single time we have, all of those moments seem like the last moment on earth. And yet here we are. So we'll get through it. Yeah, I think we're going to get through it. So we have a new administration. So we were talking last year about the differences between how administrations affect human resources. We have a new administration from the other party. So what is your thoughts in terms of what's going to happen with human resources. I know there's a lot of initiatives that are going on. We typically see a lot of initiatives from states, but we're starting to see the federal government push initiatives more so than we typically do. So what are your thoughts? I know the one thing that's on my mind is the $15 minimum wage, which scares me absolutely half to death. (laughs) But I would like to get your perspective on that and, and where you think that might go from a good perspective and where you think that might go from a bad perspective. Sure. Well, yeah. So I think your point about there's been so much inaction at the federal level, not only within the previous administration, but in the Obama administration before that. I mean, Congress has been gridlocked for a long time. And so we're seeing a lot of the initiatives that we anticipate to see out of the Biden administration are actually those that have had traction and bubbled up from the state level. And one of them is, of course, the minimum wage. And and we've seen largely in sort of East and West Coast and Northern states, we've seen a lot of push or increase in the minimum wage. A lot of the Southern states, some of them don't even have a minimum wage. So as a result, we really, we're at a mishmash now of that. And we actually just saw in the reconciliation that was put through by the Biden administration on the COVID relief, they were trying to attach a $15 minimum wage federally in that, and that's not anticipated to go forward. And I actually think 
if you had asked me in December whether I thought we would see an increase in the minimum wage, I would have said yes. I'm not quite sure I would say that with such certainty at this point because we are still really kind of plodding along with high levels of unemployment and a lot of business vulnerability because of what we're dealing with with the pandemic that I think putting that pressure on what is already a very fragile economic recovery or at least bumping along in the status quo to put that kind of pressure on it at this point, they will not consider. I do anticipate, though, that within the next couple of years, we are going to see an increase in the minimum wage. And I know you and I have talked about it, and it's still $7 and change, which is not a living wage in virtually any part of the United States at this point. And so as we try to create a stronger middle class and a stronger consumer class, it's widely viewed that a strong minimum wage is appropriate. And we see most companies are beyond that minimum wage. So you and I've had these conversations, but I don't think business owners should be afraid that all of a sudden they're going to wake up and face go from $7 to $15 minimum wage. I think whatever they do, they will index it. I think whatever they do, it will be something that happens over time. But I do anticipate that there is going to be an increase in minimum wage. And honestly, I don't know any car washes that other than for students hiring teenagers and that sort of thing, I don't really know of many businesses that I have worked with that pay even around the minimum wage at this point. So, And I think with wage pressures, even in states where there's higher unemployment, we're seeing high unemployment numbers here in Colorado this year, more so than ever. I think we're number two or number three in unemployment, which was surprising because we were like number two or number three in unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. Employment numbers. And the thing I like about minimum wage, and I want to talk to you about this because I know we probably have different impressions, but I, I like the minimum wage being lower because it gave people who were new in jobs a start. So it, it said, okay, if you want to, if, if you're a high school kid or you're looking for just a part-time job, it gave business owners the opportunity to hire somebody. And then the expectation always was, I thought over the last 30 or 40 years was you would work yourself out of minimum wage and start making more money. But for whatever reason, that's not happening for a segment of the population. And so now minimum wage is really more becoming the wage safety net for people who either are not upward mobile or I don't know. I just, I think what the unintended consequences are for higher wages is you're not going to hire the new person. You're not going to take a risk on the high school kid this summer to help you at your car wash because you're like, I can't afford another $15 minimum wage employee because I've got to take that money and pay other employees. And I know one of the things that opponents of a higher minimum wage say is they'll see higher unemployment. What's your thoughts? Certainly, I'm not an economist. And I know that economists have always looked at this whenever a minimum wage has been recommended. And I think there are concerns on both sides to do so or not to do so. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's really tragic about how these jobs that were intended for kids or for folks who are at a certain place in life as an entry job, as an opportunity to start their careers are now being occupied by people for whom this is the career. And I think one issue that we don't really talk about when we talk about minimum wage sufficiently is in the 50s and 60s, a high school education could get you a good middle-class solid job that could afford you the opportunity to live a lifestyle of 
work and of leisure and with a safety net that secured you at the end of your career. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And I think because of that, you have people whose education doesn't prepare them for the workforce of today. And so they are stuck and sitting in the jobs that we would normally give to people in the beginning of their careers. I think there's like sort of a big systemic issue that needs to happen at this point. But what we have seen, though, is that when minimum wages have been increased effectively, they do tend to increase wages all around. It is obviously a tide that lifts all wages. And for the most part, they are sustained by the business community. But again, I am not an expert on it by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not going to try and convince anyone of my perspective on it. I was talking to a friend of mine about this on Monday. And the concern is prices will go up. So as wages go up, prices go up. So the people that are now making more money are effectively losing that advantage. And I think you'll see certain industries start making some dramatic changes. We were talking about the food service industry. In our country, food is very inexpensive. We have a lot of fast food restaurants that really depend on cheap food and cheap labor to make it happen. You might see some big changes in kind of fast food in this country. You might not have as many fast food places That might be a place where the actual business model is not sustainable if you don't have those two things. I absolutely agree with that. And I can see that. And, you know, not to get off of the minimum wage subject, but I think for business owners looking at 2021 and what kind of trends to expect, we are seeing just in our business, we have sold more projects on to do compensation work than we have seen probably in the last five years combined. And we're only in the second week of February. And so I think what we're seeing is that there have been a lot of hiccups in 2020 that exacerbated what had been happening with compensation in the years, you know, 2019, 2018, with a really, really tight labor market. We see a lot of wage compression. A lot of businesses had to hire talents and bring them in at higher rates than what they already had. So they have this real struggle with internal parity, pay equity within their organizations where all of their pay scales are out of whack because of the sort of emergency measures they had to use to attract talent. And we also see that with COVID and not necessarily for your technicians or your cleaning crew, but some of your other services, those can be done by people remotely. And now your labor pool can have other options. It's not just those that are geographically around the car wash, but those that are on the East Coast, West Coast, or anywhere in between. And so they can command a higher rate. They can demand a better salary. And it's really, if companies have not really taken a very hard look at their pay scales, their pay grades, they're going to need to because we're seeing a lot of upward pressure partly from the $15 an hour minimum wages in a lot of the states where it's going up, but also just because of the tight labor market. And if you want skills and you want an education, boy, you're going to pay for it because now those employees have other options in other places. And when we're doing recruiting right now, if you're not bringing your best compensation to the table, you're losing out. And it is really tough to fill positions right now. You have to be able to move fast. You have to have your best offer. And there's a, just an intense competition for skilled talents in the workplace today. And so that really bodes to the fact that if you're going to enter the labor market, you've got to start focusing on becoming a skilled 
employee. So you got to develop skills. It's very difficult nowadays just to go into the labor pool, like you said, from high school and be unskilled and be able to find a job and develop a skill. I think you've got to go into the job market with the idea that you're either going to get a formal education or you're going to develop a series of skills that are going to be valuable. Absolutely. And, you know, you may be supplementing things with gig work. That's another really big evolution in the last couple of years is all of these gig jobs that are out there that folks can use to supplement other incomes and do things like that ad on the, during the Super Bowl, working five to nine. And I couldn't figure out like, what is that? I don't even understand what they mean. And it's that gig work, you know, you quit your nine to five job and then you go and do your five to nine job, which is something creative and different. And maybe it's an essential thing, but we do need to be looking at all of those, the skills, education, preparation for the workforce of tomorrow. And it'll be interesting to see the dichotomy between the states and the federal government, because forever, the federal government has sort of defaulted to the states to manage their own human resource laws and labor laws. And now we're seeing big disparities between different states in regulations and labor laws. And so what we're seeing is some mass migrations from states that are perceived as being overregulated to states that are being seen as more business friendly, not to say underregulated, but we're seeing mass migrations from California, for example, to Texas. So the move of Oracle, which is one of the largest software companies in the world, is moving their headquarters from California to Texas. And we're seeing other businesses do that as well. That's going to be really interesting, I think, in the future to say, does the federal government step in and say, let's try to make a more equal and level playing field amongst all the states? Or are they going to continue letting the states do what they do? I think if we look at history, I think what happens is there's always a push for more regulation from one side of the aisle, and there's always a push for less regulation from the other side of the aisle. But what ends up happening is historically, hopefully going forward, in the end, the ones that really need a national solution are the ones that do get passed and the ones that do move forward. And I think we're seeing it right now, actually. The best example is our response to the COVID scenario. Having the states go it alone on their response to the pandemic, on securing PPE, on distributing and obtaining the vaccine and everything in between, is it really fair if you're in one state that doesn't really prioritize it that you don't have the same level of protection than a state where I live? I've been in lockdown in my state of New York <laughs> since <laughs> July. I can't go anywhere. No one can come and visit me. Like I'm a little, I'm a little over it, and I could use a little bit more Florida-ish. Go on and have fun. I mean, I, I, I really want that. But I think there are certain things where we do need a national solution and hopefully we will better heads will prevail and we'll be able to navigate at least those and come up with it. But I do think what we will expect to see from the Biden administration are certain legislative things that things such as pay equity, hopefully some measure of paid family leave, paid sick leave, not anything exorbitant, but something that at least some measure, because one of the, and I say hopefully, because I have worked in the last year with businesses whose employees have had to be home because of sick leave, because they were sick, because they were tending to somebody who was sick, because their kids were in school. And the only way those businesses were able to stay open was by knowing that they would be reimbursed for providing that leave as needed. And if that benefit weren't there, I do not know how businesses would have survived the last year. 
it does show that there is a need for some minimum level of paid leave. So I think we're going to see something along those lines. We've also seen some interesting look at the non-compete agreements that increasingly those are looking frowned upon by courts that feel that they really do restrict employees' rights to gainful employment in and around where they live and what they do. So I think we're probably going to see some tightened up restrictions on what can be on a federal level, what can be in non-compete agreements. I don't expect that we'll see much movement on things like medical marijuana or recreational marijuana. That doesn't seem to be a big topic, but definitely more regulation and more teeth around OSHA, the EEOC, around the Department of Labor, you know, workplace violations, inspections, a lot of those things were not prioritized in the last administration. And also immigration, opening up some more of those visas, the foreign worker visas, things of that sort. So I think we will see more of a traditional boning up of the regulatory agencies that have not really been very active in the last four years. No doubt. You know, we talk about OSHA. That's one scary agency. <laughs> it seems like they're not here to help you. They're there to hurt you. And I know OSHA's had a big impact in COVID. And they're now coming out with a lot of restrictions or a lot of guidance or a lot of regulations around how you open up your workplace with the pandemic going on. And when you say OSHA in the car wash industry, people run for the exits. <laughs> Because although there is a desire to want to have a safe environment, there's no way you can comply with every one of the OSHA regulations. If you were to get an inspection, you would probably end up in a situation where you're going to end up paying some fines, which is frustrating. It's true in HR, too. Just so you know, it's not just OSHA. It is like I've never met a company. I've never I've never met a company that was fully compliant in all the laws that we know as they exist. It just is, it doesn't happen. It's too hard and too complicated and, and it requires too much talent that companies don't have. And I think OSHA is absolutely in that same domain. So given that, why do we not have initiatives to try to streamline these things? Because if if everybody is not in compliance with either safety regulations or HR regulations, it just seems like, and I think that's where the people that feel like there's too much regulation or too much government. It just makes it so complicated, if not impossible. Why can't we simplify this? Well, I think it gets to the issue that we were talking about earlier. You've got a myriad of state and federal or state and local and federal. You know, in some of our larger cities like New York and L.A. and Chicago, they have a whole different set of rules than their state does than the federal government does. And I think it's pretty simple to be able to comply simply with the federal stuff. It's everything else and all the other pieces that need to be added on to. It's just, it really is complicated. And, and I have to tell you, there are days when I think, why am I in New York? Like, <laughs> this is way more work than it should be. I don't, why am I doing this? And frankly, I've advised to some of our clients when they, you know, somebody in Tennessee has an employee who does marketing for them and they're going to move to California to follow their husband to a job. My advice usually is, you better think long and hard about whether that talent is worth it because just that one employee in just that one state will be a really complicated thing to manage. And this doesn't apply in the car wash industry, but it's an interesting discussion because my son works for a very large tech company based out of California that's got a really good search engine and web browser, but 
the disbursement of employees working remotely and working in different states for a period of time has really wreaked havoc in the HR world because technically they're not allowed to do that, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah. So this is where you get into that state mishmash problem of the guy that lived in Silicon Valley is now living in Idaho for a medium or long term gig and working out of Idaho. And nobody knows. Nobody has it, you know, except for going out and looking at their IP address. There's no way anybody in the world is ever going to know that they're working in Idaho. That's absolutely right. And I will tell you one other thing that is terrifying to me. And that is that when we all rushed to close down our workplaces, everybody grabbed their laptop and ran home. But we did not, just because we have the systems to be able to allow for remote work, we do not have the security to allow for remote work. And there is, the New York Times did a terrifying expose on the Twitter hack that happened last summer when you know Elon Musk and Joe Biden and Bill Gates and everybody got hacked by Twitter. It ended up being kind of a, bogus Bitcoin scam. But that was conducted by a 15 and 17 year old sociopaths, basically. These were kids and they were able to do it because we were no longer in the workplace working from home and they sent out a little phishing thing, give me your password and your... And all of a sudden they were able to basically bring down one of the largest communication companies in the world. And there's nothing keeping that from happening to my business, to your business, to anybody's business. We have not built not just the remote work and from an HR compliance. There is a huge vulnerability from a cybersecurity malware, you know, ransomware perspective. And my entire business is run on the company that maybe your son works for. And it's scary to me what the backup and protections are. Yeah, it's no doubt. Really and you're just hoping as a small business, you're not going to be targeted. I think that's the only way you can deal with it is you hope they're going to go for larger businesses and are not going to mess with your business. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad way to live, but I think that's what happens most times. Exactly. What are the two or three things you would leave the listeners with in 2021 as an HR consultant? What would you recommend they do to work on their business from an HR standpoint? From an HR standpoint, I think the first and most present one is still COVID, making sure that you continue to have the protections around COVID. I think the vaccines as they roll out are going to be a really interesting question from employers. We've filled in a lot of questions about whether or not employers can mandate or require the vaccine. And we have it on our a video and a paper on it. But essentially, yes, employers can mandate the vaccine. They have to provide accommodations for those whose disabilities or religious beliefs preclude them from taking the vaccine. But more than that, just because you can mandate it doesn't mean necessarily that you should mandate it. And if it was hard for you to get people to wear their masks and to socially distance and to take those precautionary measures seriously, mandating a vaccine is going to be just that much more challenging. So start thinking about what your relationship to that vaccine is going to be. And I view it as instead of looking at it from a stick perspective, look at it from the carrot. Perhaps, I mean, I know that my boyfriend and partner, when he got his vaccine, he had had COVID. He was very sick after both the first and especially the second vaccine. So consider giving folks some time off to recuperate if necessary from the vaccine. Celebrate it. Lead with example. Take the vaccine yourself first. Celebrate how many people have been vaccinated. Celebrate the potential end to what we've been going through. So I think really 
maintaining a vigilance around maintaining a safe workplace is important, but also anticipate what you're going to do in, in order to accommodate the vaccine and roll that out. I also think, and we talked about this earlier, David, there's this lot of sort of existential angst and emotional baggage that we are all either noticeably or not noticeably carrying around with us. And I think that employers need to recognize that this is still a tough time and not only COVID, but also the perils of unemployment and the financial pressures and schooling and political strife and societal strife. There's just so much garbage out there that can affect people both in unpredictable ways and at unpredictable times. So I think being kind, being having grace, paying attention to the mental health of your team and leading with gratitude, leading with being grateful for what we have, being grateful for your employees, being grateful for your customers as they continue to come through your washes and just reassure them that we will get through this. We always have, we always will, especially younger people who may never have had any context to go through this kind of adversity. We'll get through it. Yeah, and I think that's good advice. Staying close to your employees, making sure they're doing well, checking in with them personally. Absolutely. I think is important. It's going to be super important. So so good discussion, Claudia. Thank you so much. I always enjoy it. We'll do this again, obviously, because I always love getting your perspective. And if people want to engage with Affinity HR, where would you send them to? Sure. If they want to send me hate mail after saying that we should have an increase <laughs> in the minimum wage. <laughs> Our website is affinityhrgroup.com. That's A, F is in Frank, F is in Frank, I-N-I-T-Y, hrgroup.com. I'm Claudia at affinityhrgroup.com. And we also are part of, as you mentioned, the International Car Wash Association. So you can find us through their website as well. And we're on LinkedIn and we're on YouTube. We're kind of all over the place. You can't really swing a cat without hitting us. There you go. That's good. That's good. And if you're a member of the ICA, you get some special discounts with your organization. Absolutely. And if they are, yeah, if you're a member of ICA, if you go to affinityhrgroup.com forward slash ICA, you'll see the menu of services that we have available for members. So another reason to have a membership with ICA. That's right. There you go. Good, good. Well, Claudia, thank you so much. Appreciate this conversation and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, David. Be well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. We'd like to get this podcast in the hands of more people in our industry. So tell your friends and associates about the podcast. You can get Car Wash the Podcast anywhere you get podcasts or simply go to carwashthepodcast.com. For Claudia and myself, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time and keep washing those cars. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free, on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners. 